And I mean, you found, as you can see, you, I mean, you're a really experienced runner. You found a a pattern that works for you. And I think that's a really important thing is for runners to find what works for them. This Runs Radio, episode 930, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Uh, one thing that uh, I've talked about a few times, and I know that a few folks have talked about it as well, both on the podcast and just in, in Facebook groups on social media, things of that nature, is the value of using running as a tool to help us to improve our mental health. Uh, you know, again, something I've talked about so many times. How many times have I told the story about Rebecca kicking me out of the house and not letting me come back until I've gone for a run and I'm, I'm back to being a normal human? Uh, that actually did happen back in the day. It hasn't happened recently, but you know, those those types of things happen in my in my life because running is such a, a valuable tool for my mental health. Hopefully, however, running isn't the only tool that I can use to help improve my mental health. And uh, you know, having a little diversified toolbox, having a few different different tips and tricks and things you can turn to can be helpful. And that's why I'm excited to talk about a new podcast that I've started listening to recently. It's actually today's sponsor as well. The Happy Brain Podcast hosted by Heather Parody. And it's all about, you know, just giving us different ways, different tools to improve our mental health. Obviously, I'm not going to replace running as one of my tools, but every once in a while, it's nice to be able to lean on something else or to just have some different ways to just, you know, be a little bit happier on a daily basis. So I would definitely encourage you to, to check out the podcast. Uh, like I said, the episodes are short and sweet, great for a dog walk, or maybe while you're doing your dishes, things like that, or let them, let them pile up a little bit and listen to three or four or five of them when you're out for a run. I mean, you know, you do you when it comes to listening to podcasts, that's for sure. But uh, I would definitely encourage you to check out the Happy Brain Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And, and if you, when you search for Happy Brain, you might find a dozen. If you search for Happy Brain and then Heather, it'll pop right up. Uh, give it a listen. Give it a subscribe. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the podcast. Hopefully, I'm not the only one that likes it. But uh, give, it a, give it a listen when you get a second. And uh, now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey guys, my uh, guest today is someone that uh, I connected with semi-recently uh, on, on Instagram, and uh, it didn't take long for me to figure out that A, I like the guy, which is always a, pl- always a plus, uh, and B, that I wanted to have a, uh, you know, have a chat with him on the show because I think there's a lot of, of great stuff that we're going to be able to get into today, so uh, you know, here we are. He's a physical therapist by trade, and uh, he definitely enjoys working with runners. Obviously, he's a runner himself as well, uh, and really loves geeking out, uh, my words, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't call it geeking out, but really loves geeking <laughs> out about biomechanics and running form. So clearly I'm, I'm all in on that type of stuff. Anything related to running form-ish, but definitely injury prevention, you know that. I, I can go on for days about injury prevention stuff, which obviously running form plays a, a big part in that. Uh, so certainly looking forward to today's chat uh, with Dr. Daniel Strauss. So Daniel, thanks for, uh, for joining us today and welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I started listening to your, your podcast after we connected and it, it was such a, such a cool thing. I love the idea of, of going on a on a run with someone. Um, and I just, it, it reckons me back to, you know, great runs I've had in the past and even back to like high school with running with a bunch of guys. Um, so this is, this is fun. I'm excited. 
Fantastic. Well, certainly looking forward to it. And guys, if you enjoyed today's conversation, want to find out more about Daniel and, and, and what he's got going on and some of the, the, the services and offerings that, that he has, uh, athletickinetics.com is kind of home base. And obviously we'll, we'll mention that and we'll dive into it a bit more as we go. Uh, and on Instagram, you can connect with him personally at Dr. Dr. Daniel Strauss, uh, all one word, pretty much spelled like you would think it would be, you know, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L-S-T-R-A-U-S-S at doctor.danielstrauss on Instagram. And also the, the athletic kinetic, kinetic side, kind of the, some of the business side of things uh, at athletic.kinetics. Uh, and on YouTube, you can also find some, some great videos there. Uh, just search for athletic kinetics on YouTube or point your browser over to disruns.com slash 930 because uh, that's the show notes for today. And of course, we'll have everything linked up there. We'll have links to the YouTube channel, the, the, the Instagram account, some photos, the whole nine, uh, disruns.com slash 930. So uh, Daniel, like you said, you've, you've listened to a few episodes and, and you kind of, I uh, appreciate that, that you enjoy what we've got going on here. I, I appreciate that compliment. Um, and so you, that means you know exactly where we're going to kick things off today. So uh, I'll just I'll just lead right into it. What is your favorite distance to race and why? Yeah, so I I am a 5K runner. I I love racing the 5K. Um, I I love running longer distances, but for a race, it's it's the 5K for me. Um, I, I feel like I have to I have to justify that a little bit after listening because <laughs> I feel like everyone loves the marathon and the half marathon, and, and I enjoy those too. Um, but the 5K lets me feel fast, and and I, I love that. Um, I, I kind of started running um, back in high school, um, and that was really the first race I ran was a 5K. Um, and, and that just, it, I, I love the, the speed involved with that. I love the kick at the end. Um, I love, I love, you know, passing people. That's, that's one of the, one of my favorite parts about running a 5k. So when I'm racing, it's a 5k for sure. Okay. Okay. Now see everybody that's, that's been listening long enough. Maybe you haven't been listening long enough to know that, that I am like the, the, the polar opposite end of that spectrum where the 5k uh-huh. is just, is just, oh, like everything that you apparently like about it, all the things I'm like, Egh. I mean, I like all those things. I like running fast. I like passing people. It like scratches, scratches the old competitive itch. I just don't like how it feels to run that hard, that fast, that consistent for, you know, for me, I got, where would I be right now? Probably about 20, 21 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, 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 a, I would rather slowly pass people at the end of a marathon where, yeah, it hurts a little bit longer, but, you know, like it's a slow burn. Uh, but anyway, the, the moral of the story is to each their own. That's one of the beauties of, of our sport. There's so many different options, so many different, different great, uh, great choices out there. And, and, yes, 5K is a good race distance. It's just not, uh, not my favorite, but it's not all about me, um, which sometimes I feel like I make it that way. But, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now already. We just got started. I'm already rambling. This is not a good sign, or, or it's a great sign, one or the other. Uh, but like you said, you, you started running in high school. So um, was, was that uh, – you know, I feel like like high school running. It's it's one of two things. It's either um, like you have always kind of loved running, and you were looking forward to running in high school, or it was kind of like I want to be part of a team, but like I don't want to play other sports, or I can't make the other teams, or whatever. Like like how did you fall into? And, and maybe there's a completely different story, and, and probably there isn't in a lot of cases. But as far as stereotypes go, those are my two stereotypes when it comes to, to high school running. But how did you get involved in the sport at, at that age? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I fit right into one of those stereotypes. So I was a I was a soccer player growing up. So okay. I I started playing soccer when I was six years old, and probably didn't start uh, running with like a competitive mindset till I was thirteen or fourteen. Um, but but I got into running as a way to stay in shape for soccer. Um, and and you know I ended up falling in love with it, and I run now even more than I play soccer, even though soccer is still a, a part of my life. Um, but that's how I how I started out. Um, so when I got into high school. Um, I, I started running, I got on the track team, I got on the cross country team, 
Um, and I, yeah, I fell in love with it. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, one of my favorite parts about, about the high school team was the camaraderie, you know, and it was, it was getting to hang out with all, all the guys and gals and talk about running and run and go for long runs. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the origin of my, of my running story. Um, when I, when I got into college, I, I kept running, um, but it got a little busier. And so running kind of got put on the back burner for me for a little bit. I ran a few races in college and, and really is more, more for fun at that point. Um, but then I straight from college, I went to grad school and I moved to Northern Arizona, um, specifically Flagstaff. And that's like mm-hmm. one of the running mm-hmm. capitals of the world. You know, I, you get to interact with so many great runners. You just go out on the trail and you meet great runners, you know? And so that's kind of where my, my, uh, my desire to run was revived. And that's also when I was in PT school. And so those two things kind of connected and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, a it was really a, uh, a great combination of things. That's where I really started to learn to run um, better, um, to really analyze form, analyze technique, um, but then also where I kind of found my passion for running trails as well. Gotcha. I was, I was going to say, you know, being in, in Flagstaff and around that that community, which at least stereotypically, you know, I think of Flagstaff and, and the runners there, and it's like all trail runners, ultra runners, I guess maybe some road marathoners, um, but I, I think of the, the, the trail situation out there. Uh, and so, I don't know if I'm surprised, but it's like, wondering if you got pulled at all in that direction as opposed to, to sticking to the shorter, faster distances. But, you know, it, it sounds like you, you did a little bit. I, so so I did. And that, that was the funny part was, I mean, when, when you're in grad school, you do not have, and I know you know this, you do not have a lot of time. Right. And so and so I'd go out on a run and be like, oh, I want to keep going, but I have to go study you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but the cool part was actually that's where I met my my two business partners, Austin and Chris. And and uh, Chris is uh, also a runner at the time, and now Austin's become one. But um, we would go out on runs, and so I would run with PT school buddies, and um, and we would we would run with some other um, other individuals, um, and and they would keep going. Sometimes we'd be like, hey, we got we got to go, <laughs> we got to go study. But that kind of kept us at the you know more of the the five k distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, when you're running a five k, you're you're running farther too. So we'd get in those you know 10, 15 milers every now and then as well. Right, right. Um, so it it sounds like, and, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like a little bit of competitive itch, especially you know playing soccer <laughs> growing up, things like that. Um, do, do you do a lot of racing still or is, is running more of a, of a, you know, relaxation thing, less of a competitive thing now, or kind of what's, what's running look like in your life these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do want to get back to racing. It is not something I have done recently, probably in the last two years, I have not run a race. And obviously last year there's no racing. Um, but, but even before that I had, I had fallen out of racing a little bit and it really corresponded. And this is, this is the the sad truth of life. Sometimes it really corresponded with busyness. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I haven't had really had a lot of time to dive into training and I like to train well before I run a race. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't like to just jump into a race. Um, if I'm, if I'm actually trying to run for speed, if I was just going to go and, and, you know, race casually, um, that'd be fine. Um, but, but I really, I really do enjoy um, the the preparing for the race and um, really shooting for my best, shooting for a PR. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't raced recently, um, but I so more casual at this mm-hmm. point. Um, de-stressing, um, staying in shape are big things for me. Um, but then also, really, in the last three years since I've gotten more into running gait analysis and that sort of thing, it's really been fun to try to refine my technique. You know, to become. Mm-hmm. Um, the most efficient runner I can um, to become the and ultimately that will result hopefully in the best runner I can as I get back into racing as well. Right. Yeah, that's that's uh, 
that efficiency piece, obviously something we're going to talk quite a bit about. Um, but, uh, you know, just talking about kind of the, the ebb and flow maybe of how life impacts running. I think that, that this is something that's kind of come and gone at, at various, various episodes, various, various times throughout the, the course of the show. Um, but I think it's always an important thing to, to highlight that, um, obviously we're not static beings like, like human life is, is crazy and it's busy and it's messy right. sometimes. Um, and, and I think sometimes we can really get stuck in this idea of like, well, I, I I'm a marathon runner. I'm a 10 K runner or whatever. I'm a five K runner, like, like whatever it is. And, and like too much of our identity can get wrapped up in that. So to hear, I guess a long winded way of getting to, you know, Hey, right now life's busy. Obviously COVID like that's, that put a damper on races, but like haven't run races much because, I'm not able to fit the, the, the training in that, that I expect or that I want to put in to, to be able to pre- prepare for, you know, running can look different now. And then who knows three years from now, five years from now, whatever you know, life allows you to get a little more serious about training and, and more focused on, on getting back into a good routine. Then, then you can jump back into racing. I just, I just think that, that sometimes it's too easy to get kind of pigeonhole pigeonhole ourselves um, and forget that, Hey, it's a, it's an ebb and a flow and, and that's okay that running looks different now than it did five years ago. And it's probably going to look different five years from now than it, than it does now. And, and it sounds like you've kind of lived, lived through that at least a couple times in your life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, something that, that running has taught me a lot about too is, is priority, right. Mm-hmm. And, and what's, what's the most important thing in life, um, at, at the moment, you know, and like you said, those things change, you know, um, obviously family for me is, is very important. That's, that's one of the, the top priorities I have. Um, and then, you know, at, at this point work in a career is very important, but you know, I, it, the important thing is also to fit in things that, um, provide, you know, not only stress relief, but give you life, you know, and that's one of the things that I, I never want running to be out of my life. Cause it is one of those things that definitely fills me up and gives me life. Um, but at the same time, I know there are times when, okay, maybe I can't be as serious about training. Maybe it falls to exactly what we were talking about, you know, something as a way to de-stress or as a way to, as a, as a hobby more so, um, than like the thing that drives my life. Yeah. And that's, that tees up at least a little bit in my mind, maybe it's not a tee up to everybody, but the way my mind thinks, um, you know, having running continue to be part of your life and not be something that, that brings stress is obviously, I mean, I think that's the best way to, to go about it. But you and I then go about kind of creating some businesses or, or adding running to not just the, the the exercise, the physical component of our lives, but also the professional components of our life. Um, has that been a difficult transition or a, a difficult tightrope to walk to make sure that running is still fun, but now running is also work? Like how does how does that uh, kind of work out for you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, for me, um, it actually has really enhanced running in my life. You know, it's allowed me to constantly focus on running, even if I'm not running constantly. So um, I let me give you a little bit of a backstory on on kind of the, the business. But back in PT school, um, Chris Austin and I were um, in school together and we worked a lot together. We graduated, went our separate ways. Um, but we, obviously, we we're still close friends and kept in contact. Um, so what we ended up deciding to do uh, about two years after we graduated PT school, we came back together and said, hey, let's let's do something together. And we were like, well, what do we what do we want to do? We want to our, our goal is to to help athletes in some way. Right. And so we kind of came down to, OK, what do we all do? We all we all enjoy running, you know, and and we all have a really good knowledge of biomechanics could we do something with runners? Um, and we 
came to this idea of, hey, what if we looked at running gait analysis? We've done it in school. We do it in the clinic. You know, we've, we've worked with runners. We've analyzed their gait. Um, and so that's when we kind of took some time. We took really a full year and we were like, okay, let's dive into the research. What does the research say about running gait analysis? What does it say about can, can you change running gait successfully? Should you change running gait? Um, is that anything beneficial? And so we kind of did that. And that really enhanced, I think it enhanced all of our runs. It, it, uh, um, allowed, I mean, both Chris and I were, were pretty serious runners still at the time. And then Austin, um, really got into running because of his deep dive into the research, um, which was really, really cool. So, I mean, to answer your question in a very long winded way, I think it has, um, working with runners and, uh, really focusing on running gate analysis and running form has really enhanced running in my life and really made it even more of a priority because of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's, that's obviously that's, that's the, the sweet spot because, um, like, like you already said, you don't want running to be stressful. And when it becomes, when you, when you combine, you know, hobbies and things you enjoy with work, sometimes it can, it can go that route, but certainly, uh, sounds like it's not for you. It hasn't been for me, uh, which is, which is where we like to be. So backing up just a little bit, um, going to, going to PT school, was that something that was, was long on the radar or how'd you find your way into kind of that, that physical therapy career path? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, so I came into college having no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was an undeclared major really was looking for myself, trying to find myself. Um, I, I knew I enjoyed science. And so I, I started taking biology classes and anatomy classes. Um, and I really, really enjoyed them. And so I kind of went to a, a, you know, a student uh, counselor and was like, hey, w- w- I, this is what I like doing. What are some options? And they gave me some options. And I had been in physical therapy in the past. I'd also been to, you know, sports medicine doctors. And so I kind of started to go down that path. And I started shadowing in clinics. And that's when I really found I really liked what um, physical therapists did. They spent, you know, 30 minutes to an hour with their patients. And they really built rapport with them. They saw them over and over and over and it wasn't like a you know oh come into the office see you for 15 minutes and then get out of there you know let's go um go for a year and i won't see you again you know it was very much a relationship you build with your patients and i really like that relational aspect that's something that i strive with every athlete i work with with every uh non-athlete any anyone in the clinic i see i really strive to build rapport and relationship with and so that I think is what drove me into physical therapy. Um, and then from there, it was a matter of, you know, getting into grad school, getting the grades you needed in undergrad to get into PT school. Um, but that was really kind of the background on why I became a physical therapist. It was, you know, the love for science, the the love for movement and sports, mm-hmm. um, but then also the love for building relationships. Because if you're not relational as a physical therapist, you're really not going to be able to make much headway with really anyone. Right, right. Yeah. And that, that's one of those situations I feel like obviously different, but maybe similar to, to some of the things that I do, obviously as a, as a running coach where, um, you know, there's, there's no shortage of good running coaches. I'm going to say, right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, there's no shortage of, of really good physical therapists. Right. Yep. That, that doesn't mean that every running coach or every physical therapist is right for every runner or person who's, who's in need of some type of rehab or corrective, uh, you know, medicine, things like that, because, Sometimes just personalities don't click. They don't mesh. The, the way that I, I work with somebody may not work, may not jive with, with an athlete, which means that they're not going to get the best out of the relationship. They're not going to see the results that they want. Uh, and, and I would imagine that probably there's a similar dynamic at play with, with yourself and the, the patients you see in the, in the, in the PT world. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think as a any kind of medical practitioner or anyone working with athletes, it's important to realize is, is yeah, not everyone's going to work well with you or jive with you. And that is fine. And I think it's then taking that and saying, okay, this is this is a really valuable person and someone who who needs help and finding then someone who who works well with them. So, you know, if I'm with a patient and um, we're working together and things just are not working out well, I will say, hey, you know, my colleague so-and-so, they work really well with this type of this person or this type of athlete. Let's get you to see them, you know, and it's really being humble and understanding that we're not perfect as as medical practitioners or as as run coaches and that um, we, we have limitations as well. And I, I think that's, that's really important. And sometimes the piece that's kind of missing in, in the sports field or the, the medical field, we feel like we have to build ourselves up to this, you know, this pinnacle of, we know everything and it's okay to admit that you don't know everything and you don't work well with everyone. Right. Because, because we don't. And, and, it, right. and, and, and again, I mean, not to belabor the point, but I'm going to belabor the point, like yeah. that, that personal connection, like you can have all the credentials you want in whatever field, whatever, whatever area, yep. whatever, whatever, you know, different, different types of, of areas of life. But when you're working with someone, whether it's in person, whether it's online, whatever, but where there's that, that interpersonal dynamic that, that is as much, if not more part of the, the, the process, um, you know, all the, all the letters after your name don't mean much if, if there's a communication issue or if there's a personality clash. So, uh, so yeah, finding, finding the right, the right, uh, physical therapist. I know for some of the athletes I've coached and, and I'm currently coaching has been a game changer and, and, and in some cases struggling to find the right physical therapist or the right massage therapist, or the right, somebody in their area to help them through whatever issue, uh, has, has been a barrier. So, you know, for, with that kind of a, as a lead in, um, just kind of a, a general kind of PT situation to, uh, question here, but like yeah. what kind of things should runners look for? Maybe questions to ask um, if they find themselves in a situation where they're going to, to get some rehab, they're, they're needing to work with a physical therapist um, to kind of help flesh out whether or not, not as the person qualified, because let's assume that they're qualified, but whether or right. not the person that they're, that they're potentially going to work with is the right fit for them as a person and maybe as a runner as well. Cause that's obviously important too. Cause you get some folks that are like, Oh, you just don't, just don't run. And you're like, well, that's, that's not an option. So how, how should a runner approach a, a potential new physical therapist? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think being, being open about who you are as a runner and what you're looking for is important because, because I think that a lot of physical therapists will, you know, if they don't feel like they're, they're well suited to treat you, they will say that, you know, Hey, maybe let's get you to someone who is more of a running expert than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think, uh, looking into a therapist credentials too, can be a, can be a good thing. Asking if they've worked with runners in the past, is this something that they do? Um, you can even ask, you know, what would a treatment plan potentially look like ahead of time? You know, they, you're going to probably get, um, a response more like, you know, I, I, let me see, let's figure out what's, mm -hmm. what's wrong first. You know, I don't think a, a physical therapist necessarily has to be a runner to treat runners by, by any means. Um, in, in fact, I mean, I have colleagues who don't run who are who are really good physical therapists mm -hmm. and could be fantastic physical therapists to any runner. Um, but it is a bonus, I think, if if the physical therapist runs, because then they kind of have that experience. They know what you're going through. They they uh, and I've found that really in my practice as being a runner myself. I have I mean, it's easier to build camaraderie with the patient, build that patient relationship and and really establish yourself as, you know, I, I do understand what I'm talking about when it comes to running as well as physical therapy and biomechanics and strength training and that sort of thing. So I think a couple, I mean, to summarize it, a couple mm -hmm. good questions are, do you run yourself? 
Um, do what's your background with treating runners? Do you treat many runners? And then even something like, can we do a running gait analysis or do you do running gait analyses? Cause I think that is a, an important part of returning to running. Um, you can, you're going to work on basic things first, right? You got to turn on the nervous system. You got to get things firing again. Um, after an injury, you got to get strong. And actually your, one of your last guests, um, Martha did a great job of kind of summarizing, um, important things that, that people will go through in physical therapy and how the importance of strength training and that sort of thing. But then getting back to running, I think it's really important to to do a gait analysis, to have someone look at your running form and say, okay, have are there things there that could cause recurring injury? Was there a reason that you, you came into me? Was it just an overuse injury or mm. is there something in your biomechanics we can tweak? And so I think those are, those are the, the things that one should look for um, in a physical therapist when they're going there, especially as a runner. Gotcha. Um, I think this might be a question that I've never asked any of the, the <laughs> physical therapists that have been on the show or, or, you know, anybody kind of along those lines. And I don't know why it just came to me, but it, but it just kind of did. Um, so we just kind of, you know, what kind of questions should, should runners ask, but what, what are some of the things that, uh, I think we all kind of know runners don't always make the best patients, um, at least, <laughs> at least in general. Um, what are what are some of the things that runners and and certainly speaking in generalities no one no one we're not talking to anyone in particular here but but what kind of things do do runners do you see from a clinician standpoint where you're like god if you would just not do xyz for however long like you know cuz again like let's not beat around the bush like we're, we we come to you because we want to get fixed cuz we want to get back to running again a lot of us right. don't have the patience to like wait as long as we want to wait so what what are some things that would make runners maybe better patients and hopefully uh, lead to more successful outcomes when they are seeing uh, a physical therapist? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of the reason that runners end up in physical therapy is overtraining. Um, I see that a lot. Um, it, it's uh, running too fast or too much too quickly. Um, and so I think I think uh, overtraining is a, is, is a major issue. Um, in terms, though, of like NPT, um, runners typically are really good about doing their exercises, at least what I have found. Um, I mean, home exercises are a really important part of, of, you know, working in physical therapy, um, and, and into your highest level of running. And so just, um, I mean, ultimately doing what your physical therapist says or what they ask of you, um, is, is, is really important. But, um, but yeah, I, the things that, that runners do, I think that, that really put them at a higher risk for injury. And this is because I think so many runners are so driven and want to just get better is overtraining. And so I think, um, the importance of rest and recovery, um, is probably the thing that I find that runners don't do well. Um, and that, that's something they can work on. I mean, that can include things like cross training and, and strength training as a part of running programs. Cause you know, runners just, they just want to run. And that's, I mean, I get that I'm a runner. I, I just want to run, you know, I, um, strength training for a while wasn't really an important part of, of my life as a runner. Um, but, but yeah, kind of a, a summary would be, um, staying with the strength training and then getting those rest days in, getting those cross training days in. Um, those are the things that I think runners struggle with that are really, really important, especially in rehab. Gotcha. So, so then, you know, I'm going to take a little jab at my, at my run streaking friends here. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what, and, and obviously, you know, especially like, cause I, I've, I've interviewed some of them and I've talked to them on social media and there might even be a few that are listening, but like, you know, I know some folks that have been like, like legit, they're at 4,000 days in a row, 5,000 days in a row. Yeah. So like clearly 
whatever whatever they're doing to to be running that much every day, like their body's able to handle it. Um, but when you're talking right. about rest and recovery, and then you're talking, and then and I'm talking to a, a run streaker, like, well, you know, I'll just I'll just run for one mile, and that'll be rest and recovery. Like like to me, those don't those don't really jive. Um, but you know, again, just talking in general, not any specifics to any folks. But but where yeah. where does that kind of run streaking thing? fit for you as far as like to me that's not rest and recovery but but what say you right yeah yeah you know i think some people are superhuman um and i think they uh they are not necessarily the average runner um another another principle that that is important to consider there is as this principle and this is going to be a little a little complex but then uh, i want to explain it in more detail is is wolf's law which is essentially the body's going to adapt to the forces placed Mm -hmm. upon it right so um, it run streaking. These people, the people who are run streaking, you know, I, 4,000, 5,000 straight days of running, um, their body has learned to adapt and heal very quickly. They're, they've built up a really strong base. I'm sure they didn't start out running, a, you know, 15 miles a day, right. um, doing that, that run streaking. And, and, um, a lot of, uh, runners who run streak, they, they also have recovery days where they're doing very light, very slow running. Um, and so because they've built up that, that tolerance for running, that tolerance for the pounding, for the, the single leg activity that you're doing constantly when you're running, um, they, they're able, their bodies are able to take it, you know, and, um, a lot of them do, um, have a really thorough strength training program. They will also cross train, you know, so they'll, they'll get on the bike, they'll, they'll get in the pool, they'll do that kind of thing so that they're not just running. Um, but I'd say for the average runner and especially for the runner, anyone who's just getting started, but then most runners need some sort of day off or some break. Um, and that's kind of what we find in research is we, we really, really need a break to let our bodies heal. Mm -hmm. But you you know, some people, um, everyone's unique and, uh, that's something I really emphasize with my runners, um, and the runners I work with. And then really anyone I work with as a a physical therapist, everyone's unique, not one way of doing things is going to be the best way. Mm And, you know, if you can do it, that then uh, if you can run streak, I'm I'm not against that at all. Um, but I'd say for the average runner, the average listener, um, resting is very important. Cross training can be very important and it can be a way to maintain your fitness even while you're resting. Mm-hmm. And I, and I found it and I don't know if you have any experience with this, Daniel, or if it if it, if it uh, is, is something to just kind of let go. But like I found for me that the rest day is probably as not probably is as much mental as it is physical. Like I could probably yeah. go on my day off. Like I usually don't run on Sundays. I could probably go for a mile or two and it wouldn't be a big deal physically. Right. Um, but mentally, like I just need that day to not run. And and that seems to make a world of difference in how I feel Monday morning versus I, I would imagine if I went out for a couple miles on Sunday morning, pretty much every week and never took that day off, um, that Monday morning run would be a lot more ugh than, than it usually is. Oh yeah, absolutely. The the mind is so 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 powerful, and that's actually probably the thing. It, it, as a physical therapist, I have learned the most since becoming a physical therapist is how powerful the mind and then the nervous system is. Mm. I mean, there'll be days when your mind just shuts you down, your nervous system shuts you down, and you should feel great, and you don't. You know, and then there are days when you do something that spectacular that you're like, how did I how did I do that? And really, uh, a lot of times it comes back to the mind and the nervous system. And we could, oh man, we could talk for, you know, <laughs> days about about neuromuscular reeducation and motor learning and and all these good things. Um, and I, I know we don't have time for that, but but yeah, it's the power of the mind is so crucial. And then giving like exactly what you're saying, giving your your nervous system and your mind a rest can be can be really important, even from that repetitive activity. Um, but do you do you run streak? Have you what's what's your longest streak? Um, I, I did a run streak 
gosh, how many, probably 10 years or so ago now. Yeah. Um, where, where I was in this, this kick where every month I was going to kind of try something new or try to make some type of change just like it's an experiment, you know? So sometimes it would be, um, you know, not having like one of them was no, no, I went vegetarian for a month and I, you know, I, I did drink more water, you know, X amount of water every day. So it was just like, like I went through this thing for probably like 16 months or so. And one of those months was, was a run streak and I hated it. I hated it. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, that if I'm, if I'm honest, if I tried it today, it would be a completely different situation because a, I'm a lot more fit than I was. Mm, B, yeah. I understand a lot better about running easy on your easy days. So like, like, you know, back then it was, it was kind of that no pain, no gain mentality. So it was like, I was just trying to pretty much hammer it every day. And you know, by 30 days straight of trying to hammer, like everything kind of hurts and you're tired and like this sucks and I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so yeah, like I wasn't in a good, I, my, my, my experiment was probably set up to fail. Um, but since then, I mean, I, I don't know, like I've, I've probably done like a week or two for one reason or another because schedules change or you're on vacation. So you can just run every day because you are relaxed and whatever. Um, but since then I've pretty much been a, you know, I needed a couple days off per week and then, you know, now I'm down to just one day and that's, and that's, that's enough. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say never because I've gotten myself in trouble with that before, but I can't see a likely, a strong likelihood that I'd ever really dip my toes back into a, a long extended run streak again. Right. Right. And I mean, you found, as you can see, you, I mean, you're a really experienced runner. You found a, a pattern that works for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing is for runners to find what works for them. And that's something a lot of new runners struggle with is, you know, how much do I run? Um, what, what do I do in terms of cross training? What do I do in terms, do I, do I need to strength train that sort of thing? And really it's going to be, it's going to be finding a pattern that, that works for your body that allows you to have the appropriate recovery. Um, but then slowly, uh, adapting and slowly, you know, pushing yourself. And that's where, you know, practitioners like you and I come in where, where it's, it's about, um, progressing the runner and getting them back to doing what they're doing and then, you know, furthering their, their abilities after that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, getting, getting a little bit more up to, up to current events now. I mean, mm-hmm. I could, I could dive into the mind body connection and, and <laughs> also I could, I could go into that for days as well, but I got a feeling that there's some folks that eyes would gloss over pretty quick. So we will, we'll maybe touch on it a bit more as we go through, but not uh, go too deep dive there. Um, but, but when you and Austin and Chris kind of you know, had this brainstorm of like, Hey, let's, let's try to do something together, focusing on, on biomechanics and gait analysis and, and things of that nature. What was, if you said it before, I missed it. I apologize. But what was kind of the driving that, that, that focused you on, on that front? Was, was there something to say, Hey, let's, let's spend a year looking at the research on this front. I mean, I feel like there had to be, what was, what was the, the thing that made that the decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we kind of upfront we we said we want to do something that interests runners, right? And and because no one's ever going to want to work with us if we're doing something that doesn't interest them. And we're also saying, you know, what is what is a missing piece? We see a ton of people doing a, a bunch of good stuff on strength training, which is incredibly important. You know, we see a bunch of people doing good stuff on cross training and other important aspects of running. And we're like, there's there seems to be a piece missing with the the whole running gate analysis. We didn't we we saw some stuff out there, but we thought hey, we, we could probably do some things here that would be unique and that would be special. And so that's where we, we said, let's take a really l- deep look at this. Because if there's stuff out there already, 
um, or maybe there's no research that supports, you know, what we're thinking of doing. And so that was something that that we we need to look at too. And so that's kind of when we took that deep dive. And and really we we narrowed down. There's so many things you can look at in in running gait. And so we kind of narrowed down to what are the things that will make the most impact on someone if they if they were to change it, meaning in terms of injury risk and efficiency. So improving their efficiency, decreasing their injury risk. What are the things that are proven in research because if something is not really proven in research we don't have a whole lot to go on we don't have a whole lot to back that up um, and then ultimately what are what are things that are going to be implementable right what are things that a runner can implement themselves um, because if you don't have those three things then i mean it's going to either the runners are not going to implement it we see that all the time where there's this fancy gate analysis done and then it's like okay now what do i do um we're very much about practical, you know, application. And then, like I said, if it's not supported by research or evidence, then we're really putting someone at, at risk for for doing something they shouldn't be doing. You know, we're not going to change someone's gait in a way that it doesn't work. Um, and so that's that's what we um, kind of did. We dove into the research and said, okay, what what are those things? How can we make an impact here in the running community with running gait analysis? Um, and what we've really done is we've kind of broken down. We we have a unique way of analyzing someone's gait. So we look at um, we look at really seven different key things. Um, and then for more advanced runners, we'll look at some more things. We kind of broke it down to the, the the seven things being cadence, one sound when they're running, whether or not they're overstriding or their stride length, their foot strike, their their base of support or step width. Their, their knee alignment, um, knee valgus is something that runners struggle with, um, but knee alignment is kind of a general term for that. Mm. How high they're going, their vertical displacement, and then looking at their foot and kind of looking at how much they're pronating and how quickly they're pronating. And we found that when we kind of look at these things, um, we can break down a runner's form and then we can say, okay, are there things that, that could be leading to an increased risk of injury? Are there things that that could be um, putting you at uh, making you less efficient as a runner that we could tweak and, and make you more efficient with. Um, but the the key with with all of this that we we have found is is not just jumping in and changing things about a runner's form. Um, we found that runners really they um, they know what, their bodies know what is best for them, and so that's kind of where our our thinking came in, and we started to say, okay, how can we use the nervous system with these things to then implement them in a safe, effective way um, that that uh, that the runner then benefits from. And that's when we came to this concept of of motor learning, um, spe- specifically a concept called differential learning. And that's kind of the the thing that we've honed in on in terms of running gait analysis and form correction was this idea of of motor learning and differential learning. And to, to explain those, those terms, really motor learning is, is essentially you, your, your body learning, your nervous system, learning your movements and really optimizing them. And then differential learning is, is this concept where you take, um, different, different, uh, movements. So let's say, well, I'll use it overstriding for an example. So say someone's overstriding, we would then expose them to understriding and then way overstriding. And then we'd let their body kind of find what is best in between there. And that's, that's really, um, what we found is when you expose the body to a bunch of different stimuli, the body seems to find what is best. And that's kind of how we've decided we are going to safely change runner's form. 
because we know that if you quickly change runner's form, like if you if you um, say, hey, you know, you're heel striking, let's do a forefoot strike, mm-hmm. that puts someone at a really high risk for injury. You know, or if you say, hey, you're you're running this specific way, you're running with you know excess vertical displacement, let's try try to not run like that. You're you're messing with things that I, I especially in an uninjured runner, you don't research says you don't really want to mess with. Mm-hmm. But when you give someone a bunch of different variables and you say, find what is best for you in here. The body, and this is the power of the mind and the nervous system, the body really finds what is best for them. Um, and that's something we've seen that's really cool is your body kind of finds your optimal running form and then it's customized to you. Mm. And so that's kind of a really short overview in a really long-winded sentence about kind of <laughs> what we do and how we have um, kind of dove into the research and to, to figure out all this stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. So then um, to, to almost put it another way, especially when it comes to the differential uh, mm-hmm. training that you talked about. Um, would it, would it be fair to say that like, you know, would I, go back to your overstriding example. So Please, somebody's, yeah. somebody's maybe overstriding, um, their, their, their body, their mind, their, their, their form is kind of in a rut, but then instead of trying to force it, you just say, Hey, like, let's try really str- long strides, really short strides. Um, and for lack of a better way of saying it, that kind of helps them bust out of the rut and their body to then kind of self-correct and find the right, the right, distance of the stride or again, whatever it is that we're working on. But that, in that example, is that kind of what, what is happening? Exactly. Yeah. So, so like a a traditional learning might say, okay, this is how you, you under, this is how you are supposed to be running. This is the stride you're supposed to be using with. Now do that a bunch of times and, and try to try to make that your running form. And that just doesn't seem to hold over long-term because the body doesn't, you're not getting to experience the full spectrum of movement and then find, and then letting your body find what, what works best. So that's kind of, so the traditional movement or traditional um, learning is like, find this and do that. And as we know, um, I'm sure you've experienced this when you try to cue runners, when you think about it and you get in your own head, Mm -hmm. that's when runners start to struggle a lot. And so that's where exactly what you're saying, differential learning kind of breaks you out of that, that, um, that cycle of trying to find the exact form that's perfect and try it breaks you out of the rut of, of doing something that might be dangerous to your body. And it kind of resets your body and resets your nervous system and says, okay, um, this is one option. This is another option. And then you kind of experiment with the options all in between and you find what area along that spectrum feels best. And that is a way, one of the ways, it's obviously not the only way to, to change gate mechanics, but that is one of the ways to safely change gate mechanics. Um, at least that is what we have found in our practices. So, so would that be for, for the runner who, um, you know, like you said, if, if they're, running injury free, they're, they're doing pretty well. You don't want to necessarily go through and, and overhaul things because exactly. um, I feel like then you're, you're just asking for, to create a problem when, when no problem maybe there exists, but for somebody who's looking to optimize, to become more efficient, mm-hmm. um, sounds like, and maybe you said this in, in, and I just didn't hear it correctly, but it sounds like that's, that's kind of the best way to do it. Just like, again, not, not trying to force everybody into one mold, but say, Hey, let's try some different things. Let's let's, let's put some different stimulus on different parts of the body and let your body kind of figure out what is the quote unquote ideal form for you. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's nothing when, and when you're running, there's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, let's try, um, you know, overstride, then understride then overstride, mm-hmm. then understride, then find something in between. That's not going to get you hurt. What would get you hurt potentially is saying, okay, um, you know, let's, let's, um, let's try to do this exact foot strike 
for a long mm-hmm. period of time repetitively instead of what you normally do, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's, it is a safe way to do that. And you're, you're totally right about, we don't want to overhaul someone's running gate. Someone's running gate is the way it is for, for some specific reasons. Um, and so what we're doing more is we're kind of tapping into the nervous system and we're saying, find what is best for you. Um, but we're giving it a little, a little push in the right Right. direction, right? Like these are the different options now find what is best for you as opposed to, I've been doing it this way forever. My, it's ingrained in my nervous system. I overstride, you know, I, and we're using that example. Mm -hmm. There's, you can do this with really any, any piece of the, the, uh, runner's form, but, um, yeah. And so that, that's kind of the, the, uh, the more the background behind that. Gotcha. And what about somebody who's maybe on the other end of the spectrum? And, and mm-hmm. I'll just use my, we will use myself as the example yeah. here. Cause I can, I can speak to the specifics of it. Um, probably about that time I did my run streak. Um, I was, I was what you would probably class in, and I don't have a, a gate analysis or a video to prove it, but I would say I was probably a, a classic overstrider, but my symptoms were anytime I got above maybe four or five miles, certainly into six or eight miles, um, shin splint type of, of symptoms, knees were just killing me. I don't know that it was IT band, but just like in the joint itself. Um, ankles were sore all the time. Calves were, eh, they weren't too bad, but they were, they were tight, but they weren't, they weren't too bad. But I mean, shin splints, ankle pain, knee pain. Anytime I ran longer than that, um, my self-diagnosis at the time was that I needed to, to overhaul my, my stride. But if I was coming to you, if, if somebody's listening is like, God, like, yeah, yeah, that like what I'm doing clearly isn't working. I'm in pain a lot. I want to keep running. Um, what kind of, of, I feel personally, and I'm not the expert here, but personally, I feel like that's where you might want to be more aggressive about overhauling the, 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 the yeah. gate situation, but what say you? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I, there's, there's a couple of different factors here. So one, I would say, first of all, if you're in pain, get to a, a physical therapist, kind of like what we talked about earlier, find a physical therapist that works well with you that you can go to in person, um, and have them take a look at you. Cause that's, that's kind of really important. Step one, I think, um, with anyone who is, is hurting or who's injured. Um, and I mean, same place, you can go to your, your sports medicine doctor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever you, you look to in the medical profession for help with injury. Um, that's kind of step one. And then, and then from a running gait analysis perspective, um, I mean, it's always good to first do a running gait analysis to see what we're looking at. Um, a really easy thing that runners can do right up front is calculate their cadence. So what one thing we find um, is that lower cadences are often associated with things like overstriding, with louder sound, um, with with abnormal um, biomechanics that can cause injury. And so I always have a runner, and this is something you, you can do without a treadmill, without videoing yourself, is calculate your cadence and see where you're at. Um, and then you can play with increasing your cadence slightly. So a lot of runners have have lower cadences. There's not a, a perfect cadence, really. Um, we kind of have this this mystical, you know, 180 steps per minute is ideal. And that can be true for some runners. A lot of high-level runners run with a high cadence like that. But generally what we know from research is that if you, um, most runners, if they don't have a high cadence already and if they're struggling with injury, a slight increase in cadence, like a 5 to 10% increase in cadence, can be really be beneficial and is is almost, it can be a, almost a, a magic bullet for correcting some of these um, gait abnormalities that can cause pain. So in your specific example, Denny, I, I would have said, um, yeah, get to a physical therapist first and then let's, let's have them check you out and figure out what's going on. Um, 
and then calculate your cadence, see where you're at, and then experiment with a slight increase in cadence. Um, I would start with, you know, if you haven't done it before, a 5% increase in cadence, um, and, and let's see if those symptoms resolve. Um, it's going to have a lot of benefit. You're going to have less contact or less uh, mm -hmm. a contact time initially. So there's going to be less joint movement. There's going to be less stress on your knees and your hips. And so that's kind of a, a good place to start. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, it, you know, it's uh, it, I could keep going all day, but at some point, yeah. semi, semi soon ish, we're going to have to wrap up. So uh, if people are, are listening to this and, and intrigued by the idea, and maybe this is where we should do the disclaimer, like, I've had it. You've, you've done a gait analysis on me and it was not that yep. painful of a process. Um, <laughs> but, but what does it look like working with you guys with athletic kinetics? Because, uh, you know, again, for those that don't know, like you're in California, I'm in Florida. We didn't meet up together to do this gait analysis thing. It's something you can do virtually and, and, and definitely, uh, I, I've never had a gait analysis done before. It was, it was enlightening. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. so, so for those that are maybe thinking about it on the fence, like what, what is involved on, on their side of things, you know, like as, as the runner, what do I have to do to, to, to have you and, and, or, or Austin or Chris kind of analyze my gait? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, we, we kind of do a really simple way. We just have, um, runners, uh, you need one other person, you, you video yourself. So you get a, a side view, a, a lateral view, um, and then a posterior view or a rear view of yourself running. It's it's best if you can get on a treadmill, um, but but um, but really you can do it outdoors as well. You you get a few a, a glimpse of yourself running by, so it's not going to be the most thorough gait analysis, you know. But you can do it uh, on a treadmill or outdoors, um, and and we can um, send you kind of instructions about what to do. Um, the best way, really, if you wanted to do a gait analysis, is to get in contact with us. Um, and so our Instagram would probably be the best. Um, Athletic.kinetics is our Instagram. Um, so that would probably be the the best way to get in contact with us to do a gait analysis. But yeah, we we love doing these gait analyses, and and I appreciate you you saying that, Denny, because I I know yeah we did one and we we had a good time and it was it was fun to to look at your your running gait. Um, but yeah, our our Instagram would be the best place to to reach out to us to do that. Yeah. And it's as, as much as you all know, my, my disdain for the treadmill, um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was worth the 10 minutes. Like, and, 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 and I didn't even need a, a partner. I just had a, tri a tripod. So if you have a tripod or a partner, yeah. anybody like anything that can hold the camera for you. Um, and, and one thing that, that I know, I mean, I've, I'm I'm in nobody's expert when it comes to gait analysis. Like I know enough to sort of be dangerous, but certainly not enough to be an expert. Um, but one thing that that you guys you know stressed, or or at least that I read it as a stress, um, was to make sure you're videotaping the whole body, not just the feet. Because I've I've like looked at them before where people just just videotaping you know from like the mid shin down, um, and, and like like why why for you guys is and, and maybe why for us as runners should we look more than just at the feet when it comes to kind of analyzing gait and things like that absolutely yeah the, i mean the the whole body is is very important i'd say the the lower extremities your 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 legs are the most important part probably that we're looking at but um the whole body plays a huge role i mean we're looking at different things like your your trunk lean um, we're looking at your arm swing. We're looking at um, how how your uh, hips are moving, and so really getting a, a whole view of your body is important. When we look at vertical displacement or how high your body is going with each each step, each stride, um, that's important to see your your whole body and see if you're wasting energy going up and down more than driving yourself forward. Um, and and so yeah, the the whole body is really really an important piece to to get into that uh, that uh, analysis. For sure. All right. And then, and then one more kind of 
and this is this is admittedly kind of a terrible question, um, but it's one that <laughs> one that people ask all the time, and I know I have my my views on them that are certainly colored by my personal experience. Um, yeah. But when it comes to heel striking, forefoot striking, midfoot yeah. striking, um, I feel like this is one of those areas that you know the headline isn't as important as the rest of the article. Um, <laughs> but but what's you know if somebody's like should I, I I heel strike? That's not good. I hear it's good. I hear it doesn't matter. Like what's what's and again, maybe it's terrible because of the timing and there's not a whole lot of time left, but what's, what's your take on, on how your foot hits the ground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do, I'll do a quick summary kind of, of, of my take at least, um, and kind of what we found in research, um, so that, so we're not going over time too much, but, um, yeah, so, so foot strike is interesting because really there's no evidence to support changing a runner's foot strike if they're not injured. Right. And so there's, there's um, foot strikes, different foot strikes load the body differently. Um, and meaning loading me and put stress on different areas of the body differently. And so like a, a heel strike is going to put a little bit more stress on your the inside of your knee versus a forefoot strike will put a little more stress on your Achilles and your calf muscle and maybe the front of your knee. Um, and, you know, rear foot strike is going to put a little more stress on your back. It's going to have a little bit more ground reaction force to it. A midfoot strike is going to be kind of right in between there. And really there's, there's no bad foot strike. Um, I'd say, you know, if you're overstriding, um, you might see someone with a, you know, really pronounced heel strike and, and really the overstride is more what I'm worried about there than the, than the, the heel strike per se. Um, but really they're all foot strikes are, are, have benefits and have pros and cons to them. Um, but uh, there's not definitely not one strike. A foot strike, I think, is best for for anyone. You'll see a lot of high level runners with with a four foot strike, and part of it's they're going faster. Part of it's they've trained for that. They've built up their body to be able to withstand a four foot strike. But for the average runner out there, I would say don't don't play with your or don't mess with your foot strike or change your foot strike just because someone says, hey, you should run with a four foot strike rather than a rear foot strike. Um, if you do are interested in seeing what your body might uh, think is best in terms of foot strike. Um, you could definitely get into, you could contact us. You could get in to see a physical therapist who's experienced with running gait mechanics and talk to them about potentially modifying your foot strike. But, um, but we really want to be careful with just straight up changing uh, foot strike for sure. Um, the, the other thing about foot strike too is, is um, it is a really, really popular way for people to say, Hey, um, you'll run faster if you do the specific mm-hmm. foot strike. And oftentimes that's not necessarily the case. It's a really easy way to get injured if you're just trying to change your foot strike. So that, yeah, I, that's my word of caution and then a little background on foot strike. Absolutely. And, and not for nothing, but if you wind up injured, you're not running faster because you're not running at all. So, you know, just, just things to, to consider. So, uh, Daniel, I, I know we could, we could keep diving in. I could keep diving into it. Uh, I, I, I love learning all this stuff and, and hearing about it and, and hopefully hearing some things that I'm like, all right, good. I'm on the right track here. And in some areas where I'm like, oh man, maybe I need to, 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 to change my way of thinking here. Um, but, uh, you know, gotta, gotta get you out of here at some point. You gotta get on with, with your day, of course, but gotta, gotta ask one philosophical question before we, we wrap up. Uh, and I'd just be curious, you know, Please, in, in, yeah. in your years as a, as a, as a runner from the high school days, right up until now, um, what is, is one thing, two things, uh, as, as many things as you want to share. I, I feel like running is one of those things that, that a lot of us have learned a lot of lessons from about running that then can relate into other areas of, of life. Uh, and I'd just be curious if, if running has taught you anything over your, your years in the sport that you're able to use in PT life, in family life, in, in any other areas of life as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, running has taught me so, so much. Um, one is drive and determination. Um, so, 
I, I've really learned that that you can become whatever runner type of runner you want to be. And really, that's kind of carried over into, into life. You can really do whatever you want to do if you have the the drive and the determination and you put the work in ahead of time for it. Um, and that's something that, that running has taught me. It's taught me patience and, and the importance of um, listening to your body. Patience meaning like, l- let's um, let's sit here and think about, okay, I I want to get here. I can't get there right now. How am I going to do that? How am I going to plan that? And then going with the plan and being patient with the plan. Um, and then, and then also, I mean, in terms of just life skills in general, I mean, it's been a huge, huge thing to be able to, um, sit with running and to really, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, really contemplate, okay, what does, um, what does, athletics look like for me in my daily life what does um what does that how does that work into um my life as a as a physical therapist my life um you know having having a wife and family um how can i learn to balance different things in my life and running has really helped me to better balance my life i think i think that's that's one of the other things that's it's taught me fantastic and and I don't even know if I need to say this anymore, but as per usual, I'm like sitting here nodding my head going, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yep. I've learned that too. <laughs> so uh, thank you for, for sharing that, Daniel. And, and guys, once again, if you want to find out more about what uh, what Daniel and, and his team are up to, or and maybe get your, your gait analyzed, I was going to say an analysis and that wouldn't have been right. So get your gait ana- <laughs> analyzed. Uh, and I definitely rec- like, I recommend them. Like it was, it was easy. Uh, learned a lot. It was enlightening for me. And, and I got some, some exercises and some things that I'm working on to try to figure things, some things out, maybe optimize a little bit. Uh, but athletickinetics.com is the website on Instagram uh, at athletic.kinetics. Don't forget that dot in the middle. Although you'll notice if you, if you didn't, it's just like a blank page. So then you'd be like, oh yeah, I need to put that dot in the middle. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to connect with Daniel, just in and of himself on Instagram, it's at Dr. And again, just Dr. Dr. Dot Daniel Strauss uh, on YouTube at Athletic Kinetics. And again, uh, disruns.com slash 930. If your head's spinning a little bit, we'll have everything linked up there. Uh, and you can kind of navigate to where you want to be from disruns.com slash 930. So, uh, Daniel, thank you for, uh, for, for taking the time today, sharing some, you know, just scratching the surface of some knowledge and some things that, uh, hopefully a lot of folks can benefit from and, and uh, looking forward to, to certainly staying in touch and, and hopefully continuing to, to work together a little bit and help each other out a little bit and, and seeing what the future may hold. But until then, uh, again, thanks for the time today and, and nothing but the best for you, my friend. Absolutely, Denny. It's been great being on the podcast. I really appreciate you having me and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being more of a, a, an active part in your community. I love, I love the, the Diz Runs community. So thanks so much for having me. All right. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Daniel and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was what was the takeaway du jour for you today? Which I know is redundant. Don't you, those of you that speak French, you don't need don't at me. Uh, what was your takeaway? At me, but tell me what your takeaway was for today. Um, for me, it was it was the idea that they came up a couple times about kind of how how things can ebb and flow in life and certainly in running. You know, there there can be a time and a place where going longer distances, where we're being able to be focused more on training and, and really trying to push yourself, push your limits, build your base, build your endurance, build your speed, race hard. Like that can be awesome. That is awesome if, if you ask my opinion. But at various points, you know, in in our lives, we we. Life, life circumstances change. Work dynamics, family dynamics, 
work from home because of pandemic dynamics. Like there are plenty of things that impact our training, right? Life happens, as I may have said once or twice in the past. And when that does happen, because it's not if, it's when that happens and for how long that happens. But when that happens, don't be afraid to to try to to allow yourself to ebb and flow your ambitions with running. You know, maybe you, you'd end up taking a break from really running hard and competitive racing because it's just not a point in life where you can dedicate the time and effort and attention to, to prepare yourself to race hard. Or maybe you do what Daniel does, or, or at least did, and kind of back off of the longer distance racing and focus more on 5Ks or 10Ks or maybe getting on the track and doing some some you know one-mile races or even shorter than that. Because that's the, the amount of training that you can really focus on. And, and eventually, when the pendulum swings the other direction and you want to get back out there and maybe stretch your legs out to a half marathon or a marathon or an ultra or whatever, you can do that, right? We, we, too often, I think we pigeonhole ourselves. And I'm guilty of this too. Absolutely, I'm guilty of this. But we kind of pigeonhole ourselves into this is what we have to do. Um, but, you know, the, the nature of life of like just actual life is ebb and flow, right? Changing the seasons, turn, 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 which is probably my least favorite bird song, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just today's conversation reminded me that, you know, ebbs and flows are okay. It's natural to be expected. And, you know, nothing says that once you give up racing the marathon or racing hard or whatever, that you can't go back to that. So, you know, the next time life throws you a curveball, whether it's a big curveball or a small curveball or just a little change up, whatever it might be, don't be afraid to ebb and flow a little bit. Go with the flow. Take what you can get. If it's a good time to really lock in and, and push it as far as training for a big race, go for it. If not, let running be something that you can do for fun, that you can enjoy, that uh, can improve your mental health, which we're going to get to that again in just a second. Um, but, you know, running is, is awesome. Obviously, I love it. You love it. That's why we talk about it all the time. That's why is why we get out there as often as we can. But it's okay if it ebbs and flows a little bit. It's okay if how running looks to you or, or how you and running interact change over time, and it can always change back. So, just something to think about. Something that I've been thinking about since since we had the the conversation. Um, and so that was my takeaway. That was my takeaway. What about you? What stood out to you from today's episode? Let me know. I'm at Dizruns on Twitter at Dizruns on on Instagram. If you think I could just spit that out easily, but apparently not. Uh, you can also send an email to disruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to the show notes for today's episode and uh, scroll down past the photos, the links, all that good stuff to disruns.com slash 930. Well, but that's not where you're going to scroll to. That's the link. You're going to scroll down to the comment section and leave your thoughts and feedbacks and takeaways there. Uh, once again, the, the link there is disruns.com slash 930. And uh, let me know what your takeaway was from today. While you're there, you can also let me know what type of mental health strategies or tips or tricks that you learned from listening to the happy brain podcast that, that you've implemented how's it gone for you uh but again definitely check it out uh now that this episode is about wrapped up unless you got a dozen others in the archives to, to listen to go ahead and point your uh, little podcast app over to the happy brain podcast by heather parody again search happy brain heather and it should pop right up uh, give it a listen give it a subscribe and, and come up with some new tools to add to your mental health toolbox we got running that's a good one but you know if everything that if, if all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It's good to have some other tools once in a while, and uh, the Happy Brain will give you some some other great tools, great tips, great ideas for things that you can do outside of running to help maintain and hopefully even improve 
your mental health. So check it out, the Happy Brain Podcast by Heather Parody. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, y'all, thank you for, for listening. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Uh, thanks for taking me with you wherever it was that we went today. And until next time, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? See you guys.